Let's talk about the future of news. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. The state of journalism today. Telling both sides of a, of a controversial story. I think we must be unbiased. It's uh, honesty, fairness, uh, truth. That is our job. That is our job. That is our job. Welcome once again to the Our Man in Stockholm podcast. I am your host. I am Our Man in Stockholm. I am Philip O'Connor. And uh, those of you who are regular listeners to this show, to this podcast, uh, thank you very much to begin with. It's uh, delightful to know that every week when I do this, uh, even the weeks I miss it, that somebody out there is going to be listening to it. But um, you may be aware, especially if you follow me on social media, that what I'm doing at the moment is that I'm trying to, for the first time in my life, I'm trying to get a crowdfunded project going, right? I'm using Kickstarter to launch a project called Outside It's America. And so far, it's going really, really well, right? We look at it, it's still only about 5 or 6% of the money that I need but the reception that I've had to the idea has been absolutely brilliant. The idea, very, very simply, is that I want to go to America, I want to do 50 podcasts, one from each of the 50 states, in 50 days, and I want to finish up on polling day in New York City. There are two reasons for doing this. One is because I was there the last time uh, when Donald Trump was elected, and the fact that, you know, so few people saw this coming, everybody was surprised, I figured that should never happen. So I want to go through all of America, even states that, you know, as some person said to me the other day, what nobody cares about Delaware. Well, you know what? I care. And I want to hear about how these things affect them just as much as I want to hear about California and Texas and New York, right? So I want to go to all these places because none of us actually know a whole lot about them unless we have family living there. That's one of the things. The other thing you will be aware of is that the media business is in crisis at the moment, right? It's very hard to get commissions. My calendar was wiped out by COVID-19. And you know what? That's fine. I am the eternal optimist. I'm like Candide. I know that I find work to do. But I also want to do work that is interesting. And I want to sort of not take advantage, but I want to explore the fact that, you know, the, the media business and the way we do business and the way we raise money for do, doing these things is changing. No media house in the world is going to pay me to go and do this project. Believe me, I've asked, right? So I'm going to people like yourselves, people who are listening to this podcast, and I'm saying, okay, chuck in a tenner, you know, chuck in five grand if you have it, absolutely. But chuck in a tenner, trust me, it's 20 cents a podcast, I will deliver. If I can just get 5,000 people at 10 euros each, I can do this, right? At the moment, I checked last night and the average donation is actually about 32 euros, which I'm deeply grateful for. But that means I need like 1,432 more people to reach the target so that I can get this done, right? So in order to do that, there will be an interview coming up uh, a little bit later on the week uh, uh, with another sort of media personality, I suppose we call this person. So we just haven't booked a time just yet. But while we're waiting to do that, I'm going to share with you something that I did a few years ago when I was in America and it's basically going to give you just a little bit of a feel it's not going to be the same format or anything but it's going to give you a little bit of a feel for how I'm going to go about this right so what you're about to hear is me and two other Irish guys who happened to be with me at the time Dave Rooney and Dave Brown of the Black Donnellys a band that play in the Mandalay Bay Hotel at the Rewa Irish Pub every night of the week in Las Vegas Nevada so I've always been fascinated by America in general, but I've also been fascinated by the gun culture over there. And when I went to see the two lads playing one night, there was a Scottish-American gent there uh, called Angus McIntosh. Now, Angus's people were from Scotland, and, you know, the family name lives on, still wears a kilt. Angus still wears a kilt at family events and that. But what was fascinating to me about Angus was that Angus is the kind of person that you meet that you just go, I've got to talk to this bloke, right? Huge shaved head, long beard, tattoos, writes books about self-defence using canes, right? But he's also an NRA, National Rifle Association, firearms instructor, right? Now, you will meet people in, in Europe who love guns, and I think that this is great, right? But you will not meet a bona fide firearms instructor. Now, 
I have very little in common with people who think that we should all go round armed. It's just one of those things that from my European, white, Irish, living in Sweden perspective, it's just not necessary. It's just bananas. I look at, you know, the mass shootings that have happened. I look at what happens in terms of domestic violence. Uh, and I just don't think that it's a good idea, right? But nobody gives a shit what I think, nor should they. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to take this opportunity to talk to Angus about what he thinks, about what he believes, about what he feels about guns and what they mean to him and what they mean to the American people. So what we did was we went to a firing range and you'll hear Angus talking about the guns at the firing range and the different kinds of guns that are available. He, uh, usually for his own sort of personal taste, is only to use revolvers, but he talks about other guns as well. And then we talked about America and its relationship with guns. So again, this is done, uh, I think it was done in around about the second half of 2016 sometime. And really that was the genesis of where I really decided that, you know, after that I just wanted to do more. I wanted to see more of America. I wanted to talk to more people. I wanted to hear their stories. And most Most of all, I wanted to share them with you, right? Now, what I'm asking you from this is, listen to this. If you think this is good and you haven't pledged yet and you have a 10 or 50 or 100 euro to spare, please do. Go to kickstarter.com, look up Outside It's America, search for my name online or look at my social feeds, right? If you can't do that, that's also fine. Okay, because maybe, you know, some other time you'll be able to support me. But what I would ask you is share this, okay? Share the link to the Kickstarter. Tell people you think it's a good project. Even if you can't support it yourself, if you're not in a position, that's fine. But tell them, look, I think this is a great idea. I think I listened to this fellow's podcast. I think it's going to be really good. If you're following the election, if you're into that sort of thing, if you want to know what's going on in America, go on in America. Let's send this fellow there and let's let him do his 50 podcasts from 50 states in 50 days and just let's see how it turns out. Because we're never going back to the situation where your newspaper is delivered in the door every evening. We're never going back to the situation where people will buy a newspaper every day. We're into a new thing here where we're paying our TV licenses and then we're going to have subscriptions. We might end up with a Spotify for news. God knows what we will wind up with, right? But things are changing and that change is coming more and more rapidly because of COVID-19, right? So this is my way of meeting it. Is it the right way? Don't know. Is it the best way? I don't know. Will it even work? I'll tell you in about three weeks when the Kickstarter is finished up. But have a listen to this. I really hope you enjoy it. I'll be back with another interview later on in the week. But this is an episode that I originally called Angus Has Got a Gun. And you can consider this uh, the, the, the prequel, if you like, to Outside It's America. 50 podcasts, 50 states, 50 days. Have a good one. All right, so I have all revolvers. There's two basic kinds of handguns, semi-automatics and revolvers. Okay. Those all over against the wall are all semi-automatics, which means... Semi-automatic means one trigger pull, one bullet. They have cartridges that slide up and leave. These are all revolvers, which means they have a canister that revolves around. This one and this one are 357 Magnums. This one is a 38 Special. What that means is the length of the bullet, the number of a bullet, 44, 22, 38, is the width of the bullet. The length, a magnum, is an extra long bullet. So if you, uh, you'll be able to see the difference. That's a 38, and that's a 357. You see, the 357 is longer. Really? All right. A 357, because 357 and 38 are such a close size, a 357 gun can fire either one. 
All right. So we, we do most of our practice with the smaller rounds. They're easier on the hands. The bigger rounds won't fit in just the 38. It sticks out. Right? So this one can only take the 38 rounds. This one will take either one. Right? 44, you can imagine, is a much thicker, bigger bullet. 22 is a much smaller bullet. 9mm, which is a standard, most of the little semi-automatics are 9mm, almost the same size as the 38. So there you go. Once you're on the range, keep your earmuffs and your eyes on at all times. I'll, in the beginning, I'll load the guns for you. Okay? The barrel of the gun always points down the range, right? never anywhere else. And your finger stays outside the trigger guard all the time until you're set and ready to fire. Once you fire, stay calm, keep looking down the range. You always want to be aware of what's on the range and what's past it. When you're done, just put them down, I'll show you how to unload them. When you're trying, don't try to count. Each of these fires six, this one only fires five, but don't try to count. Keep firing and fire until it doesn't fire anymore. That way you know there's not a live round in the chamber. Any questions? Cool, let's go. The most embarrassing thing is if it jumps and pops out of your hand. Okay. So you have a nice, solid grasp. Line that up with that up with what you're shooting at. Okay. Keep your elbows a little bit bent, so don't lock them out or else that'll hurt. Keep your hands nice and loose. Angus McIntosh is a self-defense instructor who lives in Las Vegas, Nevada, where he teaches Aikido and facilitates courses for the National Rifle Association. I started by asking him about the reaction of others that he had brought to the firing range to fire a gun for the first time. They cry. Do they, huh? You know, I've had that happen, it happened the first time I took my wife, taking a couple other people, even a couple of men who, first time, it's like, whoa, you know, it's such a rush, there's so much power to it. Mm -hmm. You can see why it becomes very addictive too. But is that the case? Like, you know, because if you say to people in Europe, you know, all oh, guns and they go, you know, well, it's too dangerous and, and this kind of thing. What's the big attraction? Is it the power? Is it the... I think so. I think it is the power. Mm -hmm. um, it's also, I mean, I could go on for a very long time on this. Um, it's a cheat. How do you mean? Um, it takes, I, I've trained in the martial arts for 30 years. And it takes years and years of hard work to get to the point where you feel like you're safe most of the time. Or it takes $300 in two days at the range. <laughs> and you kind of have the same thing. It's not really true because I teach, um, I work sometimes with the National Rifle Association and teach classes with how to get to your gun. I mean, people buy firearms or, or sidearms um, and they have no real clue how to use it. They go to the range three or four times. They go get a concealed carry permit, which allows them to carry anywhere they'd like to. And then that's it. They don't keep going to the range. They don't keep training. They don't practice over and over and over again. And the biggest problem with firearms in, in terms of that I see is that people don't take it seriously enough. Um, it's just so easy to go to Walmart or someplace and pick up a handgun and then put it in your pocket or in your purse or next to your bed and just leave it there. 
when most, for example, most law enforcement, they have to train and test, like in federal law enforcement, they have to test twice a year. So they have to go to the range. They have to keep practicing. They have to keep going. Um, and most people don't do that. And that, I think, is where the real danger comes in. You know, people say, oh, you need to keep people from buying guns. No, you need to keep people who own guns trained and able to use them. But is that the problem then, that the training isn't mandatory and that basically anybody can get their hands on a gun regardless of if they're in control of the weapon or not? I think the biggest problem is inconsistency from place to place. Um, I don't, I don't want to give you a giant history lesson, but up until the Civil War, anyone could carry any gun in the United States. After the Civil War in the South, African Americans started carrying guns, and that was not acceptable to the most populace. And what happened is that gun legislation is now based on a county-by-county county basis, not even state-by-state state for the most part. The sheriff of the county decides who can carry a gun. And so you have hundreds, I have no idea, a couple of hundreds and hundreds of counties throughout the, the, the country, and they're all different. Um, I lived in California for 24 years and could not carry a gun because the county that I lived in, San Francisco County, had issued two carry permits in 50 years. <laughs> now, I moved to Las Vegas and a Saturday class and you can get your carry permit. Well, if you move to Arizona, it's a shorter class that you can get your permit. And if you move to New York City, you can't get one at all, right? So there's no way to control something when it's at at the whim of local states. The, all the states break down into one of two kinds. You either what's called a shall issue state and a may issue state. In a shall issue state, the sheriff has to issue it, but he can set whatever kind of uh, qualifications for it. In a May issue state, then it's county by county. Like in San Francisco County, you cannot get one. But in some of the northern counties of California, it's one of some of the easiest places in the country to get one. So that complete lack of consistency makes it very, very difficult to regulate. Have you ever had to use a firearm for your own protection no. or the protection of others? No. Okay. Is it something that you expect to do in your lifetime? No. Uh, although that may be somewhat unique to me because I would choose not to. I've trained for 30 years in Aikido and the point of the training is to be the least, to do the least harm possible to someone. <laughs> and yet at the same time, when you leave the house in the morning, you, you have a gun, right? Almost always, yes. Let me put it this way. Uh, a friend of mine explained it to me this way. Every time you leave the house, you feel just a tiny bit stupid. You put the gun in the back or wherever you carry it, and you feel just a tiny bit stupid. But that, all of those tiny bits stupid is so much better than the one really stupid time. My wife didn't used to approve that I carried. And one day, we had spent a few days in Arizona, and we were riding, driving back. I had a car at that time, and the front tire blew. It was about 2 in the morning. We blew the tire, we're off on the side of the road in the middle of the desert, nobody's around. We had to wait until someone came with a jack. And so we had to sit in the side of the road in the middle of the desert at two in the morning for about an hour and a half until the truck got there. <laughs> and three or four times, you know, vans or trucks kind of slow down and loop around. And my wife looks over at me and she nudges me and she says, are you carrying tonight? <laughs> and I said, yes, I have you. Okay, I get it now. <laughs> So for that one time, I was very glad I had it. 
But I'm just thinking that the amount of people who die by firearms, you know, firearms that aren't properly stored in the home and that kind of thing, is it worth it if you balance up that one time that you felt the extra protection of the firearm against all these deaths? How does that balance out? That's a very, very kind of tricky question because at your core, you're asking which is more important, safety or individual liberty? And if you're going to choose safety, then we shouldn't have cars. <laughs> we shouldn't have all sorts, McDonald's, for example. There are all sorts, cigarettes, alcohol. If you're going to choose safety over personal liberty, that's a very slippery slope as to who decides where that line gets drawn. Um, for me, I would always choose personal liberty. And we send, especially as an American, we send our young man off to places supposedly in pursuit of liberty, a liberty that we're not always willing to practice at home. I, I wonder, does that does that sort of extend all the way back to the Civil War and the point of the Civil War, which was to, or not the, sorry, not the Civil War, the War of Independence, that it was to guarantee this individual liberty. Freedom seems to be the beginning and the end of this issue for, for people like yourself who believe in the right to, to carry firearms. I agree, and in fact, um, in some readings of American history, the Tea Party, the original um, battles at, at Concord, were partially over whether the British could barracks the guns. Um, so this is not a new issue. So it's not a new issue. <laughs> it's that old, and it will probably be continue to be fought for the next couple hundred years. What would happen if uh, the governor of Clark County or the sheriff of Clark County said, you got to hand in your guns, Agus? What would happen? I, I think most people would just ignore him. Um, I lived in San Francisco where you're not supposed to have a gun and you're not have, most people don't have guns, although I, I knew literally hundreds of people who all had guns. Um, that uh, gets to a core of the problem is in the argument here, people will say, what, let's make guns illegal. That's fine. There's 300 million Americans and about 400 million guns out there. Making them illegal will not magically make them go away. What are you going to do to round up 400 million guns, many from people who won't give them to you? I would not want the job of knocking on doors saying, give me your gun. And the job would be so overwhelming to try to round up that many sidearms from that many people. I'm not even sure it's practically possible at this point. It, this maybe is a conversation you could have had a hundred years ago. But if you can't put the genie back in the bottle, what can you do? Because there, there is an issue here. There are people dying probably needlessly every day because of the fact that people who have firearms and who don't know how to use them are in possession of them. What can you do to make the whole thing safer and still let people have this liberty? I'm not sure there is anything you could do. I mean, all liberties come with a certain cost. And, you know, if someone is going to buy a very powerful handgun, say a Glock that holds 18 or 19 rounds, and then leave it on their kitchen table while their three-year-old plays next to it, I'm not sure there's anything in the world you can do with that, as you also could not stop them from sending the kid out with a lawnmower either. I'm just thinking, though, that there are regulations here about having a swimming pool in your home. And I know there are regulations for guns as well in different counties and different states and that kind of thing. Oh, there are some regulations in every county and every state. But how do we get to grips with the fact that, you know, can you legislate for people's own stupidity? No. 
<laughs> no, I, I don't think so. I, I'm not sure you can legislate. I mean, yes, you have, uh, I don't even know. I think there are eight or 10 specific rules about pools just here in Clark County in Las Vegas. And there are at least a dozen kids who drown every single year. I'm not sure all of those regulations has changed the bottom line number very much. Where do you see this going? If you see a, a Democratic president coming in and you know he or she continues the same rhetoric uh, against guns, which there has been for the last couple of years, where do you see this going politically for America as a whole and not just Clark County? Um, for, I think it's always going to be contentious, and I think it's always going to be a county-by-county county issue. I don't think they're ever going to address that. So when you start to talk about big federal regulations, most of those only cover what some states do now. A little bit of a longer waiting period or a little bit of a registration. I don't think there's ever going to be much more to that. I don't think there's a political... You're not going to be able to go into the deep south or the west and get any kind of bigger legislation passed. So you don't see a situation where the federal government could say all firearms must be licensed? No, I don't think so. Again, I just it would be a gargantuan task to even attempt to do that. And I think you, know, you would see tremendous states' rights rebellions because that's, that's always a conflict because of the kind of unique and absurd way we set up our system that what is a state's right and what is a federal right is at the core of many leg much legislation. And I'm not sure that that would ever be settled around this, around this particular issue. And that's a fear for a lot of people, that the federal government is going to come and tell each people in each state what to do. And it's kind of unique, in, in, as you say, in the way that America is set up. Is there any way that the states themselves might agree to something like that? Uh, some states, uh, Illinois, California, New York, Massachusetts, would certainly agree to that. Wyoming, Nevada, Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas, those states would never agree to it. It would be political suicide in that state for anyone to agree to that. It just wouldn't happen. You have a concealed carry permit now. How long have you had it? Uh, two years since I, moved to, since I moved to Las Vegas. And do you ever see a time when you won't go out of the house without your gun? Oh, I, there, are, there are times now, depending, it depends on where we're going. For, for instance, um, a few months ago, we went to uh, Dave Rooney's birthday party at his house. And I did not carry because he has children in his house, and that would be rude. Uh, it would be rude rather than rude. unsafe. Yeah, I just I would consider that rude too. Yeah, he doesn't necessarily approve, and I'm going into his house. I would never carry into say his house with where he is his children. Are there any other circumstances under which? Even with a concealed carry permit, there are lots of places you can't go. Such as uh, any federal building, any state building, any court. To, Department of Motor Vehicles, anything like that, you can't go, you can't carry. So any place like that, I would not carry. Would you like to see that opened up? Because we've seen situations where universities, uh, it's been insisted by the state that because it's legal, because concealed carry is legal, well then it has to be legal on campus. Is that something you'd like to see as well? I would like to see that. I spent uh, many years teaching uh, self-defense uh, courses to girls who were getting out of high school and going off to university. And if you're 18 or 21 depending on what the law is in your state and you have met the requirements and you have your concealed carry it seems random at best to keep it off campus and campus is statistically where you're most likely to need it what about the people who feel unsafe when other people have guns um i feel i ride a motorcycle i've ridden a motorcycle for years i feel unsafe with everyone in a car there's not much i can do about that so it's a case of one liberty or one individual doesn't triumph, uh, doesn't trump another, so to speak. I don't, 
I doubt that everyone's going to stop driving cars or even stop texting while they're driving their car to protect me on my motorcycle. Every weekend during the summer, um, there are bike lists, and every weekend, most of the list is so-and-so rest in peace or pray for someone else because somebody wasn't paying attention and ran them over. More bikers die every year than uh, on the roads than most other statistical groups for their age and no one is particularly concerned about their fear or particularly concerned about that you're kind of cherry picking should we be very concerned about this well something else is is actually much worse i'm just thinking uh, would you be in favor of legislating against particular types of guns and i'm thinking in particular the sort of big semi-automatic weapons um the problem is that if you understand the weapons that's not particularly important the standard semi-automatic, like a Glock that takes 19, or they have these large banana clips that will take 30 or 35 rounds. Anyone who understands duct tape can make one of those by buying two perfectly legal ones and duct taping the bottom and then flipping it. <laughs> so yeah, in California, for example, they just had the shooting in San Bernardino. Those were all perfectly legal clips. And that's part of the problem with legislation is, yes, there have been a tremendous amount of shootings within the last... 20 years. There has not been a shooting that would have been prevented with any of the laws that have been suggested. So those people would have still had their guns. Most of them would have had them legally or could have gotten them legally. It wouldn't change the outcome at all. Assault rifles, that kind of thing, is there really a need to have that in one's home? No, but they are really fun. They are. I mean, I, I don't own one at the moment. I have in the past. Um, I do have a shotgun. Um, no, they're just. I can't. They're just a whole lot of fun. And then you take them out, and they, they make a lot of noise, and they have a lot of power, and they're even more fun than handguns. But no, there's no particular reason. I'm not sure there's a particular. None of us go hunting very much. <laughs> I've not needed my gun to go get hamburger at Safeway. You wouldn't like to see a situation where we said maybe take these out of Walmart because, you know, they are a lot of fun, but still. I think, and you having shot a three fifty seven today, if I had a choice, I'd probably rather get shot by the little bullet that comes out of a, an assault rifle or an AK-47 than the three fifty seven you shot a few hours ago. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree with you on that. <laughs> so, you're, would you like to be shot with a big bullet that doesn't go as far or a little bullet that goes a little farther? Can I choose not to be shot at all? <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be the best choice. 